We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Thursday. Guess what tomorrow is? Yeah, it is that day. It's a good thing. We're almost through the week. Keep with it. We're going all right. Some of you still are, uh, you know, keeping your social distancing by being at home. Your business uh, that you work at or, or whatever has not reopened that. Some of those should start reopening uh, next week. And I would hope that I'll be talking to some of you in your cars as you drive to work next week. Some of you are going to work today. Um, I've noticed this week that more and more cars are on the road. I, uh, as you know, got to go to the hospital each day to do two hours in a hyperbaric chamber. So I travel down 67, 167 every day and uh, back up it to Cabot and, uh, the amount of traffic is increasing every day, and that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. It's supposed to be some new numbers out today. They're expecting uh, about another 3 million unemployment uh, claims being filed today. That would sit us at about uh, 20.3 million people unemployed, which, um, need I say, we need to get back to work, and uh, if if you're one of the people that think that's too soon, then stay home. Uh, don't go out and and have dinner or go to the movies or whatever. I got a word. I got word yesterday uh, from Matt Smith, and he'll join us on uh, Friday. I'll have him on for about a half hour. Uh, the movie theaters will open again on the 18th, at least his will, uh, all across Central Arkansas. So that's good news. Uh, but we'll miss the classic movie, which would have been uh, this coming Tuesday. Uh, Dave Ellswick classic movie been kind of off the screen for the last few months. And uh, so we'll all miss uh, Saturday Night Fever uh, for uh, this month. But uh, next month we should be back with the classic movie again. I'll tell you all about that at a later time. Uh, this morning, right now, uh, the forecast is looking at partly sunny skies today at 73 degrees. It will start clouding up as the day goes along. We are going to see some heavy rain later tonight, maybe as much as an inch. And then tomorrow, a shower and a thunderstorm will be around. Uh, the temperature will be down to 70. And then on Saturday, we'll have plenty of sunshine for you. But a cold front will have moved through and our high on Saturday, only 66, while our high on Sunday uh, will be nice with plenty of sun and 72 degrees. So the uh, the weekend is is uh, looking like it's going to be very, very nice uh, for us. 
But uh, tonight it's going to be rather wet, evidently. Looking at temperatures around the area, right now where I'm at in Cabot, it's 47. Conway's 47. Uh, Hot Springs is 46. Little Rock is 50. And uh, Pine Bluff is sitting at 51 degrees. Now, if you're going up to the northwest, Fayetteville is 43 degrees at this time. So good to have you with us today. J.R. Davis joins us, uh, of course. Uh, Good to have him along. He was ill last week. You have recovered. Is that true, sir? That's right. I'm good to go. And it was it was uh, it was just to be clear, non-COVID related. Oh, okay. Yeah, we don't want you to think. I don't want people to think that no. you had, you know, COVID nineteen or That's something. Right. Yeah, I know you it's a weird thing nowadays. You tell someone you're not feeling well, all of a sudden it's like, oh, so. Yeah, yeah. You finally get it right. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I just got a note from a friend of mine, uh, and they said they're 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 excited. They just got their uh, uh, their stimulus check in the mail. Uh, it just landed in the bank. Uh, Theirs came in uh, yesterday, another batch uh, going going out this week, another batch going out next week. So uh, I thought everybody got their co- their uh, their check a couple weeks ago, but evidently that's not the way it worked, but uh, it is there today. By the way, did you see a really weird story in the news today of uh, Mnuchin and uh, Axel Rose having a Twitter fight last night? <laughs> No, I missed that overnight. Yeah, evidently they got into it. Uh, Axel Rose thought, you know, called uh, Mnuchin an a-hole or something, and Mnuchin uh, fired right back. So what have you done for your country lately? <laughs> and so pretty good stuff between the two of them. They got at each other for a few moments. Uh, uh, very strange. Yeah, it is strange, but it, it is what can happen in Twitter because a lot of times you don't even know who you're talking to. On Twitter, you know what I'm saying? I mean, people can start talking about things and uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, I know nothing five, six, seven. And it turns out to be uh, somebody like, um, I don't know, uh, who who could be, uh, who's the actor that's going? (laughs) Yeah, it could be Axel Rose. Yeah. Or who's the who's the idiot that great, great actor. uh, But now. Uh, has gone off the deep end all the time, going off on on those uh, rants that he does uh, from the Godfather. I mean, I just can't do not Duval. I can't think. I just can't think of his name. Don't worry, I'm not going to waste my time on it. But yeah, you, you know, it can be anybody. It can be anybody yeah. uh, doing that. By the way, did you see Newsom out in California said, you know, we're not going to get back to normal until we have a, a vaccine. That's when I'll uh, lift all of the the different rules that I've passed that people have to live by. Well, there is no new normal. The people in Hollywood yeah. uh, have been signing a letter. Have you seen that one? I've seen bits and pieces, yeah. Yeah, they've been signing a letter uh, They saying that uh, the world as we know it now will never be the same again. And I'm like scratching my head going, We've gone through polio. We've gone through bird flu. We've gone through inwind, well, you know. And and yeah. everybody says it's 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 never going to be the same, folks. We're going to get back to it being the same. Now, I will say that we may never. Uh, people may get to the point where they don't shake hands again. But if that's the worst thing that happens, it's pretty good. 
Yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, it's, you know, uh, first of all, let's just talk about Hollywood for a second. You know, I think that they uh, you talk about a, a group or area of the United States that is completely just out of touch with the rest of America. It's Hollywood. And I'm not talking about the ones that are trying to make it. It's the ones that have made it and just don't know what to do during this crisis because, you know, they're basically uh, home in their 20,000 square foot Beverly Hill mansions and uh, and they're trying to figure out how to connect with people. You remember the song they did uh, that basically said, we'll get through this together. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're all in this together. And it was actually kind of funny because Lady Gaga is the one that called everybody out and was like, well, you know, it's not really the same to be sitting in your mansion and saying that we're all in this together when people are, you know, dying or, or not able <laughs> or to out of work, rent. you know? Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of funny. But then in this case, too, it's this, you know, um, signing this letter that's going around <laughs> saying the world's going to be different. Sure. Look, the world's going to be different. And, and, and to some degree, Dave, it's not going to be normal in that sense ever again, but it's the same thing that happened after nine 11 flying was never the same. We all got used to it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, every big event or big worldwide event changes things. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to get a, uh, you know, get used to a, a new normal uh, where, you know, we're also going to work and grocery stores and movie theaters and, you know, uh, shopping and going out to, to dinner. You know, there just may be some things that we we do in advance or once we get there that, again, will be sort of commonplace uh, in a few months. But for someone like Gavin Newsom, uh, I think the problem that governors are running into right now uh, some are handling it better than others is, you know, we're, we're coming up on the two month anniversary, Dave, of the governor, uh, Governor Hutchinson issuing his executive order yep. uh, for the state of Arkansas. And so, you know, what's happening is we've really gone through just over a month of solid kind of quarantine, stay at home type stuff. And people are just getting anxious. Uh, they're starting to lose a little bit of patience and, hey, let's get back to normal. Let's let's go. You know, let's let's you know open things back up. They get the economy rolling. Uh, that's where I think that some governors, you know, a lot of governors are having a big issue with. Some are handling it better than others. Uh, but that's you know, for Gavin Newsom to say, "Hold your horses, we're going to stay like this till we get a vaccine." Well, that may not be until January or February of next year before we yep. see a vaccine. So uh, probably uh, maybe a bit of an overreaction from uh, Governor Newsom, but. Uh, you know, again, that speaks. I think that speaks volumes to uh, the difficulty of managing this sort of pandemic because you know it's a slow drip. It's not a disaster that you go, you know, assess the day after. It's this is just a slow drip type of uh, uh, situation, and you know, it's it evolves, but very slowly. Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between. Being hit by a tornado and being hit by a hurricane. Uh, tornado comes in, does its damage, and leaves. In fact, exactly. it may come in, completely blow you up, and the next day may be completely beautiful. Uh, hurricane, on the other, an- other hand, can kind of hunker down and come across and take a week to go across you and just wreak havoc through that whole week. Uh, I'm saying that that's kind of like what this pandemic has done. It's just uh, slowly done that. And, and if you're... If you've ever been in a hurricane, uh, you know that that roar of the wind that goes along with the hurricane and you're stuck inside 
and all your your windows are uh, you know you got you know all kinds of extra sheltering devices and stuff that you've put up plywood all kinds of stuff so and you can't see out but all you can hear is the whine of that wind it will drive you crazy and right now you know we're being driven crazy by the whine of netflix and amazon you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i uh uh, I think people are running out of things to watch on some of these streaming platforms. Uh, but it, you know, to that, to that end, I think people are, you know, like I said, about a month, month and a half, you're at home, you know, you can deal with it. Most people can You start getting a little antsy and starting to get a little impatient and people, you know, may want things to come back to it, to the way they were uh, more quickly than maybe we can. But I can assure you though, you know, governors like, Governor Hutchinson, uh, you know, he's, you know, we always talk about this, Dave, and before all this, that he, you know, his staff, and when I was ever referred to him as the jobs governor, that was his priority. You know, every day it was how do we bring jobs to Arkansas? How do we grow the economy? It's his growth agenda that he always talks about. I say that to say there's nobody in this state, I promise you, that wants this to be over more so than the governor. So he can get back, you know, in his final two and a half years creating jobs for the state and it's going to, you know, it's going to be a real effort to get everything back on track. But, um, but I promise you, he wants all of this over with as quickly as possible, but we also have to manage, you know, the public safety of it all and that we're not rushing things back. And I'll tell you this, the, the one of the smartest things, uh, that I think governor Hutchinson has done is, is, is this staggered approach to opening different, parts of the economy because you know what you don't want is for there to be this huge spike once things open up and you're not sure where that's actually coming from i think in this approach where it's you know you open up parks for a week before you open up uh you know barbers and salons you know before you open up movie theaters before you open up uh, you know dining restaurants uh, obviously with some with some guidance and parameters but but if you do that and you see a spike, you can kind of figure out, okay, well, we opened this two days ago. We've seen a spike. We believe it's coming from this area. Uh-huh. And so you start tailoring those, uh, you know, those, the, those guidance and maybe, you know, you don't shut down the whole economy, but maybe you kind of pull back on one sector. And so it's just, it, it's a good approach. We'll see how well that works. But I think that was a, uh, a smart use of that. I can tell you what, my wife is excited. I believe today she has a hair appointment. She's real. She is unbelievably excited about going to get her her hair uh, taken care of. Let's get a break in, Jr. We got to. It's twenty minutes after six today. Sunny skies, seventy two degrees, and uh, currently uh, here in uh, the uh, Cabot area, we're sitting at very nice temperatures. To be honest with you, as I as I. Uh, Pull up my all my temperatures that I have in front of me. It's 47 in, in Cabot. A little bit. That's a little bit cool, but not really too cool. And uh, other temperatures going on right now. You're looking uh, in the Little Rock area, 49, and up in Conway, 47 as well. A quick break. Traffic, weather, all the rest of the good stuff we give you during our breaks here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. You know, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Big story that's going on right now is people are beginning now to see all of these uh, transcripts and papers 
uh, Jr. dealing with the uh, Russia probe and finding out, uh, you know, we we refer to it as a nothing, a nothing burger, but it was even more than that. I mean, what our government did, or a select group of people within our government did, uh, is very not only disconcerting but very very dangerous to the Republic of the United States. Do you agree? I think it was, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it was uh, alarming that there was uh, uh, so much authority there within uh, something that most individuals, most Americans that were paying attention were told it was a much more narrow scope. Um, So, I mean, yeah, the short answer of it, you know, the short answer to your question is, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it should really give every American time to pause that there was a group up in the FBI. I mean, we're talking Schrock and we're talking Page and we're we're talking even Mueller. I believe Mueller had his fingers deep in this, uh, that we're doing things. And you're finding out, Comey and all the rest, they had nothing. Transcripts of the House Intelligence Committee interviews that have now been cleared for release are going to show, because we'll see them today, news media is already seeing them, uh, that top law enforcement and intelligence officials saying that they had no evidence of any collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia during the 2016 election. And if that is the case, why did the Mueller probe keep going? That, that should be every American's question as this stuff becomes uh, uh, public. They should be saying, wow, these people really were trying to get rid of the president of the United States. And that was what they were trying to do, Jr. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, as I mentioned, it's it's concerning. Uh, I think the idea here, here's the here's my, my, here, my uh, just here it goes. The special counsel, the independent counsel, that whole bit in, in our government has not uh, uh, worked well uh, as far as, you know, sort of the latitude that it's, that these, um, you know, prosecutors and investigators have. Uh, if you look back, you know, uh, as you mentioned, you know, the whole idea of the Trump impeachment and, and you know, prosecution was the fact that, you know, somehow he, he was involved with Russia and worked with Russia to, um, uh, you know, to win, the, to rig the election when that wasn't even part of what was said nope. from the House to the Senate. But that's still that, that's the gauge. That's what everyone thought. That's what Mueller was brought on uh, to look into and that sort of thing. But then it went somewhere else. And I can't you know, off the top of my head. I have no idea. Dozens and dozens of indictments. Right. That had nothing yeah. to do with the president. There were all these different links. Then you go back to 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 uh, you know uh, uh, Fisk and then uh, you know Ken Starr uh, during Clinton's years. I mean, it started out as Whitewater, uh, and it shifted greatly to the Monica Lewinsky stuff. I, I don't mean to make it you know you know a, a, either you know Repo- Democrat president or Republican president. It's just these independent councils or these special councils. Uh, it, it, there's just there's too much of a secrecy there. And you're not sure exactly what what exactly they're going after. You know what I mean? Like there's not yeah. a there's supposed to be this independence. There's supposed to be this, you know, 
you know, when you talk about it, it sounds great. This wide breadth of, of uh, investigative authority and uh, subpoena power and all these types of things. But then there's this murkiness is who, who is actually pulling the strings, right? Who, who is uh, pushing them in a certain direction? Uh, what are they actually doing? And so I just think that uh, in this case, it was absolutely used as a political tool uh, to hurt the president. Um, and I think that, you know, moving forward, it's kind of, you know, we've seen it on uh, the Democratic side, we've seen it on the Republican side. And I think that's something that needs to be very, very carefully handled in the future as far as appointing someone with this broad authority. Because I think we're just now seeing what exactly that can mean uh, and how that could jeopardize, as you mentioned, the you know, republic. So, Yeah, well, you've got, uh, and we got news. Let's do that right now. You know, a lot of people listen to us talking, Jr. about this whole Russian collusion thing, the Mueller, you know, uh, report, the Mueller investigation, uh, Rosenstein's uh, scope memo. The scope memo, just for everybody's uh, edification here, basically is uh, the Justice Department setting up what you should be looking into, and if you get to something like something else, now nah, leave that alone. It just sets the scope of the investigation. That's why they call it a scope memo. Here's the problem with what Rosenstein or Rosenstein said. He said, "Go look at the uh, Russian collusion and everything." They already knew. Uh, that the Steele dossier was nothing more than a bunch of hokum. It was ridiculous that it had nothing of any, uh, uh, you know, weight in it, that it was made up, that it was paid for by the Clinton uh, campaign and, and whatnot, and that there was no Russian collusion there. They knew it already, and yet Rosenstein didn't stop the investigation. He, uh, he even expanded the investigation, which makes me wonder what he was up to, and he needs to be called uh, to account. You've got Schiff, who for two years, if you remember this, uh, Jr., for two years, he said he had direct evidence of collusion between the president and Russia. He had no such thing. The man needs to be drummed out of uh, Congress. He needs to be uh, thrown out. They need to get him out of there. Now, will they do it? Of course they won't do it. Pelosi's not going to do it, but he needs to go. A lot of these people need to be in jail. Do you think that there would be any kind of cleanup like that? Because if there's not, it's going to happen again. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the you know, we talked about this during the break, and obviously you've, looked, you've actually read the entire memo but i mean to me when you have when you give someone or a group of people that sort of broad authority with no fence around what they need to be looking at uh it's a scary situation because essentially Uh at that point it is a witch hunt you are going after someone and you're going to take them down by any means necessary and so whatever that looks like if it's through you know, maybe it's directly, maybe it's indirectly through, you know, what we talked about with Flynn. Um, but whatever the case may be, you know, you go into that, not with sort of an open mind. Uh, you go with, you go into something like that with, with a clear goal in mind. Um, and that is to take someone down uh, or smear someone's name. And so uh, it's a scary situation when you give, when you give a someone or a group of individuals 
that broad authority uh, to just keep digging until they find something, you know, and, uh, and that's not what that should be used for. You know, the whole idea of a special counsel or an independent counsel is, you know, this is, these are the parameters. This is what you were basically hired for. This is what you were signed up for was to look at this particular issue or this particular set uh, of, of uh, you know, accusations or allegations against someone. And that's it. It doesn't mean you can just veer off and go down this path when it's convenient or this path or, um, and so that's, you know, that's, again, I'm not an attorney and I have no, <laughs> uh, experience in, you know, uh, one of these independent councils or special councils, but we've seen it. Uh, we've seen two in the last 20 years. And, uh, I think it's just one of those things where, um, especially in this case, uh, there was absolute intent to take down a president, um, by any means necessary, or at least to take away some of the credibility, which I think they managed to do uh, throughout the first you know, three years of this president's administration. Yeah, absolutely. You think about all the great things that we've gotten done uh, here in uh, his administration. You wonder if all of this other subterfuge wasn't going on and uh, the country was a little bit it's going to be divided because, you know, America on the left uh, is is bound and determined to, to drive us into European socialism and, to, and, and in the end, communism uh, when they can. I mean, that's very obvious in, in the, the, the left's love affair and embracing of, uh, of China the way that they have done here in the last uh, few weeks. Well, let's move away from that and let's talk about something else. Uh, we've had another terrible, terrible example of man hating man in Georgia. Uh, in Georgia, terrible. we had we yeah. had some people evidently that were hunting down a black man and and killed him. And uh, and there's outrage, and rightly so that there's outrage. But it reminds me of a conversation I was having with one of my sons just the other day. Now. He's in his 30s, in his mid-30s, and I find it, and I told him this, I find it interesting uh, that he can't understand this about uh, human nature, and that is, you know know me uh, uh, well enough, Jr. that you know that I'm a a very practical and practicing Christian guy, and that I believe the Bible for what it says, and the Bible preaches to us and tells us that at his heart, man is not good. He's bad. That, that's exactly why the founding fathers put all the checks and balances and everything else that they put into our Constitution. For some reason now in our country, everybody wants to think that your next-door neighbor is a good guy or your best friend is a good person at heart. And I always tell people, I'm not a good person at heart. People tell me, Dave, you're such a good good guy. You do this, you do that. No, I'm not. I'm not a good guy. I, uh, I, I try to follow the precepts of Scripture and things of that nature. But when really hard push comes to shove, I'm not saying that I'm a good guy. I'm a fallen creature, and I'll do bad things uh, at times. And... Uh, People are surprised by this kind of stuff. It doesn't surprise me. I know that people think that I'm crazy, but people treating other people inhumanely does not surprise me at all. 
I mean, look, let's just look at history. How many people did Hitler kill? How many people did Stalin kill? How many people did Lenin kill? How many people did Mao kill? How, you know, we can go on and on and on. Man kills man. That is just the way it is. And we try to put laws in effect to keep that from happening. We try to control those baser instincts of the human race. But it rises to the surface from time to time. And these kind of people have to be caught and they have to be punished harshly so that hopefully other people will understand if they think about doing it, they won't do it. But the bottom line is um, man is just man. And, and that goes along. I'm using that generically as a pronoun, by the way. That includes everybody, man and women. Yeah. Yeah, man. it's, it's a... Uh terrible case down in Georgia. Um, I was actually watching the news this morning and they have some video, which is just extremely disturbing. And um, it's just, uh, you know, you, you almost kind of think we're past it. You know what I mean? Uh, you almost we'll never, think that we're, we're never going to be past it. I mean, that's what I'm no, trying to right. tell you. We're no, never going right. to be past it. There'll always be somebody that will do stuff like this. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, but I, that's what I, you know, I think, I think that's the idea though, right? Is that somehow you're like, well, we surely we're not going to see another, uh, you know, uh, situation like whatever it might have been last. Right. And then all of a sudden you turn on your TV and there it is again. And you just feel horrible for, uh, uh, the, the man's family. I mean, just you yes. know, basically just going out for a run and, yep. and was, and look, it, it is what it is. I mean, this is exactly what it was. He was targeted because he was black. Uh, and and it, it's just a travesty that, again, you just don't expect uh, in this world today. Uh, but that's, you know, he was just basically going. I mean, the way it set up, he was just going on a Sunday afternoon run. Uh, and he lost his life because of it. And so it's just... Uh, yeah, it's just disturbing. But, you know, it's a good word from you, Dave. You're exactly right. It's a fallen world. and Man kills man. It's happened throughout history. Um, but, man, it doesn't make it any easier every time there's a story like this. Um, but, you, like I said before, you just really feel for his family today. Yeah, that's why I like Devo. You know, Devo didn't believe that man was evolving. Devo believed that, that their, na- their whole name for their group was de-evolution. <laughs> you know, we were all just circling the toilet, so to speak, yeah. uh, as as far as they were concerned. And uh, and I, I, I tend to, to believe that. Now, that makes me all the more happy for the people who do great things and do and do beautiful things uh, for fellow human beings. But there's people out there that uh, their baser instincts get the best of them, and they do things that are terrible. Uh, what was it, uh, 20 years ago, the guy in Texas that they got, and they drug him behind the pickup truck? Yep. I mean, let's, let's, let's not forget some of this stuff. There's, yeah, it's yeah. going on. But the, the, the wrong way to react to it is like LeBron James reacted to it, saying, yeah, see, every time we leave our houses, we're being hunted. No, that's not true, LeBron. And, and you know that, that that's not true. But I can understand your pain, and I, can understand, your, and I understand your anger. But uh, what you're saying is wrong. 
It's absolutely wrong. The majority of people are not hunting each other. Uh, but I'm not saying that if given the opportunity, they wouldn't hunt somebody. Would they take the last loaf of bread that you had if their family was starving? Maybe. I'm right. just saying. Maybe. Well, and I think, you know, again, there's no way to, uh, you know, to shed light on this particular situation more so than what's happening right now. I mean, there, it, it's a travesty. Uh, it's unthinkable. Uh, it was evil. Um, just period. Uh, that's what this was in Brunswick, Georgia. But I agree with you wholeheartedly that, you know, what makes this worse is when you exacerbate it um, to a point of where, you know, like you mentioned, LeBron or some of these other influential figures that come out and say, you know, something like that, this sort of, uh, uh, you know, idea that you're not able to leave. If you're if you're if you're black, you're not able to leave your house without being in jeopardy of losing your life. I do certainly understand the frustration, uh, the anger, the fear, yeah. uh, and all of that. But to sort of speak in those terms, I don't think that helps our, uh, you know, the situation in the United States. You know what I mean? We're, we're trying to, we're trying to get past that. I, I, obviously this is an, uh, a horrible, uh, incident, um, but because of 24, you know, seven media, because of social media, it's something that's getting a lot of coverage and it should, but hopefully that coverage helps, you know, uh, uh, pull that gap, right. Um, closer mm-hmm. to each other versus widening us apart. And so when you have this idea that you can't go to the grocery store, you're, you know, in fear of being gunned down in this particular situation, you know what? That was correct. That is what happened. Man wanted to go for a run. He went for a run, and he lost his life for it. But you can't say that that's, you know, the way it is across the entire uh, U.S. I don't believe that's the case. There are evil people, Dave, as you know. There are evil yep. people, and whether you're black, white, you know, Asian, uh, man, woman, whatever, uh, there are evil people out there, and they will do evil things. And I think in this case, that's what took place here, um, and. Uh, and it's just sad, but I, I certainly don't think we need to take it beyond these were evil people that did evil things, and it was a tragic event. I think that's where we leave it. And I yeah, yeah. Let's very, let's very not careful. expand it. Let's not expand right. it to make it sound like uh, any any person of color that leaves their home uh, has to worry that somebody else is out gunning for them immediately. That's not true. If that was the case, there, there would be blood everywhere. All right, we've got to get a break in. 12 minutes until 7. J.R. Davis uh, is with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's good to have him along with us. Uh, the Gilmore Group is who he's affiliated with. And uh, we'll come back and uh, finish up uh, today's show as soon as we uh, give you your traffic and your weather. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. We continue and finish up this uh, first hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Coming up in the next hour, uh, Dr. Tim Lim will be with us, as well as Mark Pellegrini. Uh, We'll lighten it up just a tad, although we will talk politics. These guys are really politically astute and will have some things to say, I'm sure. 
uh, about the Trump administration. We've got some sound I want to play for you. I got another piece of audio uh, dealing with China from Senator Tom Cotton that I believe that you need to hear. So all of that's coming its way uh, here on the Dave Ellswick show. Uh, currently, we're still at 47 degrees here in Cabot, looking for sunny skies and 72 degrees today. Rain overnight and then clearing on uh, Friday. Uh, later in the in the day, becoming blue skies as well. But uh, it's a, a cold front coming through, and it's going to take temperatures down for a few days. But then we're going to build back up. J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group is our guest today. Uh, J.R., uh, I've said many times here on my show during the COVID-19 uh, uh, thing that's going on, uh, that I'm glad I'm not an elected official right now because you're kind of yeah. damned if you do or damned if you don't. No matter which way you you do things, uh, people are going to find fault with you. I think some governors are should be found at fault. They've over uh, overextended their powers over our our rights as as American citizens, uh, but others have have tried to do what they think it's right and let people have their rights and then the people from the other side that are afraid of the virus and live in fear uh you know they they give them all kinds of problems uh as Mm -hmm. as well with with that with that thought uh let's let's talk a little bit about something that uh has driven me nuts i i sent you a a story and that's by you know uh Mayor Blah Blah Blasio up there in New York City. Uh, New York City. I mean, this is a guy. If if he's if he's speaking, he's saying something stupid. And yesterday, he told the New York uh, Police Department commissioner that any kind of protests that tried to happen in the city were completely illegal because COVID nineteen is more important than the First Amendment. At least that's the way I wrote. I read what he said. Is, is yeah. Am I right? That's how. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and look, in this particular situation too, it happened to be because this LGBT group uh, wanted to protest. You know, Samaritan's Purse, which is the Franklin Graham uh, uh, organization for for helping out one of the hospitals there uh, you know, by opening up a field hospital. They weren't pleased with it. That's what the protest. Uh, was was that's what was going to be protested. So, you know, obviously coming from where we come, Dave, you know, obviously that was, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad that that protest isn't happening. However, <laughs> yeah, uh, the fact that uh, you've got de Blasio out there, uh, I like how you said blah, blah, Blasio. Um, that's all it is. And, and here's the thing, you know, one is we absolutely have to, you know, it's a public safety emergency and situation. We have to be able to protect people, um, but we also have certain uh, unalienable, unalienable rights as American citizens um, that we should be able to practice regardless of the specific situation. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, Dave, uh, you know, that you wouldn't want to be an elected official right now. I am nope. right there with you. I think our governors, it's, it's extremely difficult for our governors right now to do what they're doing. Uh, Republican or Democrat. Uh, some of them are doing it for, uh, you know, maybe political reasons. Others, and I think the majority, see what's happening in their states and they're doing everything they can to, you know, basically balance it with, you know, protecting the people and also trying to keep the economy on some sort of life support so it can get going again when they reopen. So, 
I compared it to Andrew Cuomo with New York City, and then you got Bill de Blasio. Both are liberal. Both are liberal Democrats. Uh, both hit President Trump. But I don't really have a problem with Andrew Cuomo. I think he's handled things well in New York City. Bill de Blasio is exhausting. He's disingenuous. He tries to find any camera that will allow him on air. And he just gets on there and he pontificates about whatever it is Bill de Blasio wants you to know about Bill de Blasio. And it is exhausting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he's one of the, the he's one of the poli- uh, politicians. I like to say the da- most dangerous space is the space between him and a camera. Yeah. Oh, Don't get between him and a camera. You're exactly right. It's just the absolute worst. And I almost think he just tries to find ways to make news, good or bad. And I think his, I think maybe some of his staff, you know, they their mantra is the whole, you know, any publicity is good publicity. You know, and mm-hmm. so whatever they can do. Uh, to make some sort of controversial news, they do it. Uh, and and so, you know, I think this was just another step in that. Uh, you know, they, they've come under fire recently, too, for cracking down on some uh, Jewish neighborhoods yep. uh, in New York City. I mean, so it's just I, I don't understand exactly what he's doing. Uh, I think Andrew Cuomo uh, is annoyed with Bill de Blasio. They don't really get along with each other. And I think, you know, he's, de Blasio is trying to flex muscle as, as a mayor, uh, I think the governor's basically brushed him aside and said, "Listen, I got this." Uh, it's just it's just kind of funny to watch that dynamic up there. But De Blasio is just uh, really in my mind when I see him. He's kind of like a man without a home. You know, doesn't really know. What, well, he's done. Who he's pleasing uh, or or what? It's just it's remarkable. But it is also just exhausting to watch yeah. that man work. He's done. He's finished. After yeah. this uh, yeah. time as mayor, he's done. By the way, this just breaking, uh, this is from New, uh, New York News. Out-of-state health care workers that came to New York to help fight the COVID-19 uh, are on the hook for state income taxes, Governor Cuomo confirms. Nice way to pay back the people what? who came in to help you out. Yeah, they're going if you made wow. money, if they paid you, you're going to pay uh, taxes on it. Another thing I heard uh, from uh, some local, some of our local politicians is uh, the businesses that have gone out to get the forgivable loans that they can get, that, that mm. as soon as it's forgivable, that becomes uh, uh, income, and you can be taxed on it, and they're calling on wow. the governor to bring bring forth a special session to deal with that and to turn that around. So I'll keep my eye on that for us, uh, Jr. Maybe next week we'll have that to talk about here uh, on the show. With that in mind, you have a great day. Thanks for joining us this morning. Some great insights from you, uh, and uh, we appreciate uh, your time on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a good one. Thanks, Dave. All right, letting Jr. Davis go. Don't forget Tim Lim, Mark Pellegrini are next here on the Dave Ellswick Show, a Thursday edition on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Into the 7 o'clock hour we go. Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM. The answer, uh, today, sunny skies, 72 degrees. Uh, tonight, rain. And then tomorrow, Saturday, 
Uh, you're you're looking at uh, uh, sunny skies and a high of about 66 degrees. Currently around the area, Cabot, Conway, uh, and Little Rock are in the uh, kind of the mid to upper 40s, 47 to 49. Pine Bluffs at 48. Hot Springs is a cool spot here locally at 46 uh, degrees. Uh, up in the uh, the foothills there, so that's something for you to keep in mind. Going to rain hard tonight. Uh, they're looking at about three quarters of an inch of rain overnight, and then all of that will blow out tomorrow as the front comes through uh, this evening. And the temperatures are going to drop. Uh, temperatures are, have been you know relatively mild uh, in the mid 70s and even up into the upper 80s over the last few days. Uh, uh, by Saturday, our high is going to be around 66 degrees. Sunday, we'll climb up to about 72. The next week, uh, it's going to be cooler. I mean, Tuesday, the high is only supposed to be 60, but then we'll start rebounding around uh, Wednesday with highs in the 70s and then lows in the 80s by the end of next week into next weekend. We'll be into the 80-degree mark. And then the following week, giving you a little out there kind of stuff they're saying that we're going to be in the upper 80s and that's my kind of weather now uh yesterday uh we opened the pool i won't say we it was my wife and my granddaughters got the top off the pool the pool is open uh got to do some cleaning in it because uh, you know no matter how tight the top is you get stuff in the pool so uh, we'll do that uh, over this uh uh, weekend and and completely refill it and uh, one of my favorite times uh, of the day is to sit in the evening uh, towards about I guess about between uh, six o'clock and uh, and eight o'clock at night and out on the, the the deck out by the pool and listen to the water gurgle and and drink a, an adult beverage that that's the perfect time as far as I'm concerned, or a glass of iced tea for that matter. So uh, keep that in mind. Mark Pellegrini is with us on the phone. Hey, Mark, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing good. How about you? Social distancing? Well, the, yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, I'm doing my show from my house. I mean, I'm in my dining room right now <laughs> doing, the, doing the show. Uh, I, You know, things have changed some since the last time we saw each other. It's We haven't seen each other probably since about February. And so a lot has happened during that time. Why don't you tell my listeners how your life has changed a little bit? I mean, you and Tim, uh, and Tim's supposed to be joining us here in a few minutes. Uh, you guys do comics. Uh, you guys do comic cons and all kinds of stuff. I got to think that the comic cons and stuff have all come to a screeching halt, correct? They have. Um, so normally, uh, Tim travels between uh, Texas and Arkansas throughout the year, going back and forth. And most of that is due to conventions. Um, so he comes back to Arkansas. The Arkansas convention goes back to Texas and vice versa. Uh, no more conventions this year. So he's been staying in Texas. I haven't seen Tim since, like, February. <laughs> so uh, we've, we've just been, uh, you know, staying in touch over, uh, like, uh, DMs on Twitter and email and, and text and, and stuff and calling each other when we have ideas. Um, but we've been running our comic campaigns for, like, uh, Common America. Uh, and now we're doing Black Cops 3. And we've just been running those remotely, working on our scripts. Not um, much else to do. Tim's uh, drawing a page a day. Um, I'm staying ahead of him while he's drawing the current comic. I'm writing the next one. And we've just been actually staying very productive right now because we don't have to commute anymore. (laughs) 
Yeah, this kind of, this is the kind of time when you were a student. You didn't have any time off during the academic year at a certain time, you know, between holidays. You know, you come back to work at, uh, let's say, Labor Day, and you knew you weren't going to go home again until Thanksgiving. So it was like every weekend, other than when you go out to a frat party or something, you were home studying or working on a project of some kind like that. That's kind of where you're at right now. You got your got your nose to the grindstone, so to speak. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, the the timing's about right because I always remember that long, that long no vacation um, stretch between spring break and Memorial Day. You know, between uh-huh. March and May, where you didn't get an extra day unless I remember that one. That's kind of where we're at right now. Um, but now we've been taking advantage of the time uh, right now because Marvel and DC have uh, shut down distribution for all their comics. Um, they, uh, they said they're going to open them back up in May, so this month. Um, wow, I didn't hear it. that. Oh, they, yeah, they, yeah. So they stopped entire, publishing uh, completely. Yep. So, and um, mo- in fact, um, they didn't have a choice because uh, Diamond Distribution, who actually mm-hmm. you know, distribute all the comics to comic shops, uh, they shut down operations, and they essentially have monopoly on the uh, distribution of monthly comics. So, when Diamond shuts down, Marvel, DC, all the publishers, big or small, have no choice. They have no way to get their comics into people's hands and into stores. That's what happens when you, you know, let one company run all of your distribution for every single comic book company in the, in the nation. So, um, but what that didn't affect, though, is uh, crowdfunding comics like the kind uh, Tim and I make. So right. uh, we've actually ran um, we ran our campaigns for Comet America, and they did very well. And uh, Tim um, fulfills through a company in Texas called Iconic Comics, who obviously doesn't have anything to do with Diamond. So Iconic Comics fulfilled all of our uh, our books for us, and so everybody uh, who couldn't get their comics from Marvel and DC were getting them from us during this entire uh, pandemic. So we've been uh, filling a, a bit of a void that uh, otherwise the corporations couldn't fill. Well, you know, I look at uh, comics as a uh, a definite kind of thing that we need to be getting out, and comic stores should be one of those stores that should be open. Have have they been allowed to keep doing business, or did, were they told they had um, to shut down? Well, um, in some states they were. In some states they're harder about, uh, you know, the if you're an unessential business, you have to close down. And, and they determined that most uh, small businesses and independently owned businesses qualified as non-essential. Um, but of I know course. here in Arkansas they stayed open. Uh, Michael Tierney's shop, um, the comic book store on uh, Treasure Hill here in Little Rock, um, it stayed open. The problem Good. is that uh, there's no new monthly comics, no new weekly comics which makes up a huge percentage of sales in open comic shops. So the ones that have stayed open, um, that's obviously been impacting them pretty severely, that they don't have their monthly uh, you know, su- um, subscribers coming in to get their books. Uh, so I know Michael Tierney has been doing a lot of sales and things on, on um, back issues and graphic novels and, and stuff like that and merchandise. So he's been, uh, he's been finding a way around it, uh, which is really good for him. He's really resourceful. Yeah, I need to go back and, and see him and uh, get some of these uh, graphic novels that they've made uh, into um, uh, into movies. For instance, Bloodshot and, and that. I need to go back and read those graphic novels because the movie has got me interested now to go back and check out the source material. I mean, that's what The Walking Dead did. I was interested. I, I thought the show was great on TV, but then I wanted to go back and see the graphic novels, and the graphic novels are 
ten times. It's like a book. It's it's better than the movie. You know what I'm saying? It usually is, especially with comic books, because there's a whole lot of, um, you know, if it's a comic book, Bloodshot's been around since the 90s. So, you know, you've got 25, almost 30 years worth of comic That's amazing. that you can read versus, you know, a two-hour movie. They can never, you know, get barely a fraction of it into a movie. So you get a much richer experience with the comic. I mean, the same thing when you read a novel versus when you watch the film adaptation. There's always more um, substance. Did you get to see Bloodshot before the movie theaters had to close down? Uh, no, I didn't. So I'm like you. I hadn't read the comic yet, so I had I didn't really have a connection to Bloodshot, uh, the character. I'd heard of him, uh, and a friend of ours who's um, who's really big into Valiant Comics. In fact, uh, Tim did a variant cover for Bloodshots. Um, oh, really? Through the friend of ours who's got connections with Valiant. So um, he he's uh, I know excited about it. I haven't talked to him lately. I don't know if he's he's seen it yet, but I'm sure he did. <laughs> well, we'll we'll mention that to him and let him talk about it. We're waiting for him to call in. He should be calling in any moment. I would hope we'll hear from well, him. Uh, did you uh, text him this morning to remind him? I did. I just got done texting him again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I sent him a DM as well, so hopefully he just didn't oversleep. Okay, well, if he did, we'll forgive him. We'll do that. We'll forgive him. All right, it's 716 uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. That means it's time for traffic and weather. We need to get to that. Uh, As we get ready for that, let me remind you about PI Roofing and that they're there to help you uh, get things fixed up on your roof. Now, we're expecting a lot of rain tonight. Uh, If you happen to notice any leaks, because we've had some some pretty – tough thunderstorms over the last couple of months some hail been involved a lot of straight line winds involved and you may have some problems with your roof that you're not even aware of and then uh, you look up in a corner in your bedroom or in a bathroom or a kitchen or whatever and you see a discoloration which is a, a water leak that's coming from your roof just because the discoloration is there uh, on your ceiling does not mean that the leak is immediately above where the problem is showing. It could be leaking from uh, an arch somewhere in your roof and making its way down to a lower spot on your house and then leaking onto uh, uh, onto the uh, insulation, making its way through the insulation and then getting on the drywall and then makes its way through the drywall. And all of that needs to be repaired as well. All of that, your roof and uh, all of uh, the damage that the leak has done can be repaired by the great folks at PI Roofing. They do all of this. They do. They do all of this. They've got people that all they do is uh, fix the, the damage that the leak causes. So keep that in mind as well. They're your one-stop shop. And uh, you just need to call them at 707-3551, 707-3551. Let me just tell you, uh, ignoring discoloration on your roof, knowing that you have a leak, uh, is not the way to go. You need to get that fixed and, and get it uh, taken care of because it will only get worse. Uh, not only will you have problems with uh, the drywall, of course, showing the stain, but you'll also have the problem of mold uh, growing on the back of that uh, drywall, and you don't want that. That literally can make you sick. So 707-3551 or piroofing.com. Call Joel, get in touch with Joel and Veronica uh, Johnson, and they're great people. They'll take good care of you. And during these times of social distancing, they can do that 
all as well. That's P.I. Roofing. A break. Here's your traffic and your weather. All right, 22 minutes after 7. We're still waiting on uh, Tim Lim to join us. Uh, just as uh, I'm going to apologize for Tim, I think that he's probably asleep. Mark and I were just talking about it. Uh, you who know Tim and have or have heard him on my show uh, any of the few many times that he's been on, uh, you know that he has he had a rabbit and he, he had this rabbit for 13 years. And this rabbit would follow you around. I mean, it was like a dog, okay? That's what this <laughs> rabbit was like. It was like a dog. And uh, it passed away a couple of days ago. And evidently, uh, Mark, you, you're closer to Tim than I am. Uh, you know, it was pretty distressful for Tim, was it not? Yeah, um, for Tim and his, and his wife. Um, so they had three rabbits, and um, they, were all, they got them all around the same time. And so they're all around the same age. And so they, you know, what happens, they all start passing away around the same time. So they've actually, this is a third one who passed away from old age, um, just in like five or six months. Uh, so I know that, um, that Tim's wife right now, obviously very upset too. And, and Tim's not, not happy. I think Tim might just be catching up on some sleep because, um, he probably needs it, um, but that, but that rabbit who just passed away was Mr. Bennett. And he was actually the inspiration for pretty much, all of Tim's published work uh, since Stump the First Hundred Days, anything rabbit-related, was all kind of inspired by this first rabbit that he got. So right. uh, that rabbit was very special. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty. Uh, it's probably pretty traumatic for the for the family for his for his wife especially. And by the way, uh, for all of you, say, well, why is he going between Arkansas and, and Texas? Well, his wife is doing her residency right now down in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, because of that, uh, you know, he wants to see his wife. So <laughs> he's, been down to, he's been down in Texas. And this is kind of a godsend, I think, for him in that uh, he gets to spend really some quality time with his wife. Yeah, he gets to spend some time with his family. Um, and also, I mean, just being in Texas for so much long, uh, he's built up a lot of connections there, especially in Temple. Um, that's how he knows Iconic Comics, who um, does our fulfillments on, on all of our books, Common America, Black Ops, you name it. Um, gotten to, you know, Bell County Comic Con, a bunch of other things in Texas. So um, he, he's networked really well between the two states. So he's down in Temple. Is that where he's at? Yep. Um, that's where uh, his wife's doing her residency. Not too far from Colleen, of course, and uh, uh, not too far from the big uh, Army base down there, or the Army uh, Post. Yeah. Pardon me. Spoken like a true Air Force guy to call it an Army base. It's an Army post. <laughs> yeah, I've been down there a few times. Um, it seems like uh, whenever I think of uh, Temple, Texas, all I can think of is just one giant uh, traffic mixing bowl, because that's all I ever seem to see. Wow. That's about it. Humongous interchange, yeah. <laughs> you know, whenever you say Killeen and Temple, there's only there's two things. I think about the Army post, and I think about the uh, the shooting at uh, Luby's that happened there a few years back, uh, and the woman who had to leave her gun in her car at that time and uh, go in to eat, and her parents were both shot dead by the assailant. Uh, yeah, no, I remember when that story happened. Yeah, yep. actually, that's because um, there used that's, to be a Luby's here in Little Rock, and uh, whenever I drive by yeah. it, I'd be like, it would remind me of that news story. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know if that Luby's still exists, 
down there. Uh, I, don't no, know. I think he got turned into a, a chili. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still at least it's still a, a restaurant. Something to be said <laughs> yeah. for that, I guess. Anyway, so uh, have you have you been watching anything on Netflix that's caught your attention? That uh, and don't tell me you've been watching uh, the Tiger Guy because I'll think so much <laughs> less of you if that's the case. No, I've been uh, I've been avoiding that pretty much. Um, I was able to finish up uh, Twin Peaks. Um, I'm basically catching up on older stuff, older TV shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I finished up Twin Peaks, the uh, the Showtime series that came out two or three years ago, um, like yeah. the sequel series, the old '90s one. So I finally can say that I watched all of Twin Peaks. Uh, the the Showtime revival series was a lot better than the, the second season of the original series. Uh, wasn't perfect, but it was still pretty good. Um, uh-huh. I'd recommend it for anybody who hasn't checked it out. Like if maybe the way the original Twin Peaks ended left a bad taste in your mouth, then to check out the one from a couple of years ago if you've been putting it off, it's worth it. Yeah. It was Laura, wasn't it, that died? Or was it Palmer? Uh, yeah, it was Laura Palmer. Um, yeah, what happened was, you know, the first season of Twin Peaks is really good because that's where the, all the mystery is, all the strange people in town, you know, what's going on. You're kind of thrown into the deep end, and you have to follow along with the weird, like, noir, surreal mystery. Yeah. Uh, but midway through the second season, they solved her murder, and they had no story left, but they still had to produce, like, 13 more episodes. <laughs> so that last stretch of, of the original series is just an absolute grind of, of filler and waste of time and pointlessness. Right. Um, but it ended on a cliffhanger that they never resolved. And so, you know, 25, 30 years later, they uh, David Lynch did Twin Peaks, the event series on Showtime, and uh, tied up most of those loose ends, but, you know, started a new one. But he... Got to tell the story he wanted to without the networks getting in the way. So it's um, it's a bit more focused. Um, there's still some filler in it. It kind of does meander a lot. <laughs> but it's, it's not boring or um, annoying and stupid the way uh, the original series ended. So uh, well, it's I, I got, worth checking out. I got to watch some pretty cool shows here recently. Uh, and like I said, uh, I've been doing my show you know, all the way through all the social distancing, I, uh, the great uh, technologies that we have today, I can sit here in my dining room and easily uh, do my show, uh, you know, on the air. It's just that I can't have my guests come into the studio and join me, which is always a nice thing. It just makes things flow a little easier and you can have uh, uh, discussions during the breaks and stuff that uh, flow over back into the show and and things of that nature. But still, I think that we've done a a great job. Heidi's done a great job. Heidi's my new producer now, uh, Mark, just so you know. You got to talk to her a little bit when you called in. Uh, Zach moved on. He decided Aww. that he well he he decided he wanted to move on and and do some some things uh other things that uh, radio well, maybe. He's a young guy. He's got a lot of yeah, I mean, he's 24, 25 years old, so this is the time to do all of that stuff. In fact, I told him he should be saving all of his money and going out and, and doing some uh, some traveling during this time. I mean, now's the time, well, not now, but uh, it, when you're young and you can make your money and save your money because he was living at home, now's the time that if you thought about going over to Japan or something like that, that's this is the time to do that. Listen, that's we got Rush. Yeah. yeah, we got Rush. So let's uh, let's hear what Rush has to say, and then you and I will join back up here in about five minutes. We'll hope that Tim will call in. Rush Limbaugh. All right. The uh, Dow right now is up about 290 points. 
that's about 80 points higher than its downturn yesterday, so that's good. We're doing uh, doing fine today. Everybody was not totally stunned uh, by any numbers coming out today. I think everybody was expecting 3 million more unemployed uh, to be added to uh, the 17, 18 million that are unemployed right now, we're going to be over 20 million. The thing that is bothering me, Mark, and, and, and you know you and I have talked about this, and Tim has talked about it, and when we've had Shane on, he's talked about it as well. And that's how you can construct a narrative, uh, for instance, when you're in the media. And let me just talk about the narrative that they're constructing now. Uh, and it's uh, it's a narrative that they're using to try to attack the president with. And that is taking what is happening now, reporting on the numbers and showing pictures uh, without any context from the Great Depression. Yeah, you I know, mean, the soup lines obviously and stuff. this is a completely different scenario from the Great Depression. The Great Depression oh, of was you know, a perfect storm of of multiple uh, uh, problems that happened, not just the stock market, but the Dust Bowl and, and everything else that could possibly go wrong went wrong. And it was much worse than what's happening right now. Uh, but, no, they've, it's the same story that they always do. So, yeah, the unemployment um, rate is high. Uh, but just remember that it would be a lot worse because the unemployment rate was at, what, an all-time low before this happened. Trump got unemployment yes. down to, you know, an, an incredibly low number that I don't think I'd ever seen in, in my lifetime. Um, and even though the unemployment um, numbers have skyrocketed because of, you know, the social pandemic and the lockdown and, and businesses closing, it would be a lot worse if Trump hadn't gotten those numbers um, down the way he did and gotten more people jobs. And it's not Trump's fault that there is a virus sweeping across the nation, supposedly um, sweeping across the nation. When he did everything he could back in February and January to uh, take precautions to, and measures against it, and you know the DNC and and uh, the House all called him a racist. Nancy Pelosi went to uh, Chinatown and told everybody to come to Chinatown. There's no virus, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And you know he did everything he could to try and help people, and no one would listen. And now they're all blaming him that uh, that things are the way they are. It's uh, he just can't win for losing, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for instance, uh, the New York Times has an article out, and it's got six bylines to it, six. That's, a byline is something that a reporter lives for uh, yeah, in print, in print a, media. So this was journalism by committee, then, if it has six bylines. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. This, this, You know, it, it was like going to uh, high school, and they put you in a group and said, come up with a report, so everybody gets credit for the report. That's the way that this article is. And uh, they're telling readers that President Trump, quote, failed to prepare the public for what was coming, partly due to his inability or unwillingness to absorb warnings that a global coronavirus pandemic was about to hit America hard. And uh, a team of four journalists writing for The Washington Post concludes, quote, it did not have to happen this way. Warnings were sounded, including at the highest levels of government, but the president was deaf to them until the enemy had already struck. Now, those accounts have been rewritten by other outlets. And, uh, for instance, Forbes has, which they should be ashamed of it, uh, Vox, 
That's what Vox does. They're lefties and Vanity Fair, which is leftist as well, uh, which editorialized even further. And they alleged that Mr. Trump ignored the obvious red flags. You call, you know, you call them journalists, you know, a team of four or six journalists. But when they're clearly just making things up or ignoring the facts or excluding the facts that are inconvenient to their narrative, they really don't qualify as journalists. You know, that's like saying that some of the mathematician when they can't add two and two. Uh, mm-hmm. These people are just straight. Like we were talking before the, the show came back on about the inject bleach hashtag that was completely manufactured by the media. Yes. Um, as if a president would tell people to inject bleach, you know, but there's a large segment of the population that they see a hashtag, they believe it. Um, and well, every day, you know, it's the same thing where, I, I mean, every day I look on Twitter and I look at the hashtags on the sidebar and it's impeach Trump part two or it's um, not my president or something like that. It's a new one every day. Yeah, let me let me tell you that uh, there's a story that happened a few months back. Uh, about uh, the uh, the drug dealing with uh, uh, was it uh, I forget I can't pronounce it anyway the one that would treat malaria and mm-hmm. uh, there was a couple that drank uh, 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 some fishbowl cleaner or something because it had that particular chemical in it. Do you remember that story? And the husband I died, do. and the wife yeah, was because- sick. Well, I mean, that's the same thing like banning fireworks because some stupid person blew their fingers off because they decided to light an M80 and hold it in the palm of their hand, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sad that these that this person died, but it's also not surprised they didn't die sooner if they just go and they, they drink a volatile chemical without, you know, thinking about it first. And yeah. I, don't think, and the, I don't think the use of a, uh, of a medicine should be banned, especially in the research of finding a cure for... Um, for an epidemic just because one person wasn't very smart and did something very dumb and now we need to just ignore the uh the benefits and uh, the potential benefits of this uh, medication well and, uh, and the, and the uh, way the press the press presented that story was that these people heard the president talking about yeah. that drug and they went out and and, uh, and drank it well you're not hearing the rest of the story because the media is not covering it the way they covered the, the the second part of the story is they cover the first part, which is normal. It's like a retraction. You know, you never see the retraction because retraction is always on like the lower left hand corner of, of the, the second page. page. It's no. not, yeah, it's yeah. not on the front page. But uh, the bottom line was evidently it was the wife feeding her husband this stuff and she killed him. I mean, that's that's the new Uh, The new story, the new story is that she murdered him, and I've been trying to follow the story, but it's like it's it's disappeared now. It's it's, it's basically getting memory holes because it doesn't fit the narrative. You know, it's like every time there's, um, whenever there's gun violence in the U.S. and they want to harsh down on police with guns shooting people, you know, you'll see a headline saying, cop shoots uh, uh, innocent victim dead, you know, and then you read the the story or what they'll at least print of it, and you find out that the victim that the the cop shot, you know, drew a gun on the cop and opened fire first, and the cop had no choice but to respond. But they yeah. don't phrase it that way in the headline. People just read the headlines and go, "Oh my God!" Every day it's a cop shooting an innocent victim. When like, no, it's some um, actual 
cops defending themselves against violent criminals, but that's just not how the media wants to phrase it because, you know, their narrative people down with no consequences for fun, which well, is the way it is. We've had a case of that here locally, uh, the police chief now being sued for, you know, going after some people on his force because they actually uh, sat down in the witness chair and told the truth. And uh, you had a situation where uh, this cop, uh, a guy had stolen a car. There was a woman in the car with him. Uh, she had warned the police that this guy had a gun. She jumped out of the car. The guy tries uh, to run past the cop. The cop jumps in front of the, the car and shoots the guy and kills him. I mean, the guy had a gun. The guy was a, a car. We don't know how violent this guy was. And uh, he was cleared by the prosecutor. He was cleared by uh, people in command. And then the mayor got involved and had him fired. And now he's been reinstated. And now the, uh, you know, the, the police chief is retaliating against these people who who, who stood up for this cop and, and told the truth that they, you know, this guy did, was just doing his job. And it's just incredible to me uh, to watch this kind of stuff and how people uh, try to change the narrative all the time. We've got a mayor now in, in Little Rock. Uh, that's a nut job. There's no doubt in my mind. This guy's a nut job. I mean, he wants to raise taxes so that he can, uh, you know, build a, a big swimming pool or something. I don't know. He wants he wants like millions of more need, dollars. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, we already pay enough taxes. I mean, I still haven't gotten my uh, my stimulus check. And I went on the IRS's website to find out, you know, what's the holdup. I thought it was going to be a, a direct deposit. And I went through their whole FAQ, and they said that if you received a refund, you know, direct deposit, then you would get your uh, check automatically deposited. You don't have to do anything. Right. If you paid out taxes, though, if you actually paid the government um, when you filed your taxes back in, in February, um, then no, you don't get a direct deposit. You have to contact the IRS and fill out a, a bunch of forms. Oh, my gosh. And then they direct. So, yeah, so there are people who paid taxes have to go through these extra steps with people who get a refund, um, they get their, their money first. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> but the, you know, the taxpayers are always are the ones that suffer the most. You know, the people who actually are responsible and pay their taxes and foot all the bills, they're the ones who, are, who get the last regard. Um, that's right. the way it's always been, yeah. It's quarter to eight here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I understand Tim Lim is in the in the wings, ready to join the show. He'll do that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show, along with Mark Pellegrini. He's already on. We'll see what Tim's excuse is when we get back. <laughs> here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Dr. Tim Lim is with us now. I always throw that doctor in because a lot of people think, well, he's nothing more than just an artist. Yeah, well, he's more than an artiste, all right? He is a doctor. He's a doctor of audiology. He's, he's a really smart dude. I love having him on the air. He has uh, sat down and hosted my show before. Uh, Tim Lim is here with us now. Mark Pellegrini is here as well. And, Tim, it's good to talk to you. We haven't talked. I was talking to Mark since February. Yeah, it's been a while. And, um the last time we talked was actually before all of the, this nonsense happened, and here I am in Texas, and essentially I'm stuck down here because of uh, everything that's been going on. Luckily, we're on the tail end of it. Um, I've been keeping up with my parents, and you know they're still in Arkansas, 
And uh, they said that, like, honestly, things are pretty calm there compared to things down here in Texas. So that's a huge plus for you guys. So I'm glad to hear that everyone is staying safe over there. So what uh, what's going on in Texas? And people are getting really kind of edgy, and they want they want your all's uh, you know social distancing policies to go away as quickly as possible. I heard about the salon old owner that they threw in jail down there. Yeah, and apparently late last night, I think the DA uh, released her from jail. I think um, some people are are seeing the light and realizing a lot of this is nonsense. But I think what it boils down to is that Texas is major metropolitan areas that are spread out, and in between you have these huge clusters of normal places. Like, for example, (laughs) we live in the central Texas area, and when you step outside to go to, like, a park or something, you don't see people wearing masks. You don't see people who look like they're in any any threat to you for as far as public health is concerned. So it's this idea of why do we have to abide by laws, even on a, a state level, that really have no bearing on on us or our local businesses because we're so tiny and we're so, like, uh, very minimally impacted by all of this. So, I, I, like I was talking to my wife, I think it is a good lesson in terms of state versus the federal level and even mm-hmm. smaller is the municipal level and showing how um, how much control or lack of control you have over your life, really. Yeah, yeah a one-size-fits-all government doesn't really work for the United States of America for all the reasons you listed. I mean, they're showing footage in, like, the Bronx and New York City of these police officers going around and enforcing social distancing. If they see a group of people outside um, a building, they go and they break them up and tell them to, you know, to be on their way. And that's been starting a lot of fights. And maybe uh, you have to enforce social distancing in, you know, a major metropolitan area where everybody's condensed really close together. But in Texas, in Arkansas, you know, in places where everyone's really spread out, you know, that sort of policy just has no reason to exist um, in these states. And that's why the states get to make up their mind on things and not some uh, big government that tells us what to do. You know, it's crazy. And, and Tim, I'm, I'm sure you saw this story. And, and Mark, I'm, I'm pretty sure you would have seen this story with, uh, you know, blah, blah, Blasio up there in New York. Uh, the mayor who literally said yesterday that people could not uh, protest and that uh, because COVID-19 was around, uh, that got rid of the First Amendment of the Constitution. Did you guys hear that? Oh. I hadn't heard that the Constitution had been suspended. That's news to me. Yeah. Yeah. De Blasio suspended it up in New York City. (laughs) Unbelievable. All right. (laughs) It's as if the founding fathers did not know uh, what certain things were, such as smallpox or the Black Plague (laughs) or any of these things, that they, they forgot to put that clause in the Constitution. Yeah, it's just crazy. It really is. And, you know, the the, mo- the most worrisome thing about all of this is how easily many Americans are convinced that they should give up their constitutional rights. That should worry everybody. I mean, and it's like, oh, well, if it, if it keeps us safe, then it's worth uh, sacrificing. You know, like, well, someone who'd sacrifice freedom for safety deserves neither. You know, that old saying. Yeah. And that's what they always do. They they fear monger to make you uh, give up your rights a, a piece at a time, 
um, until you have no rights, and then you're really unsafe because then, you know, when, when they come knocking on your door to, to take you away, well, who's going to save you? Nobody because you don't have any rights. Yeah, that's what, you know, that you, you just quoted Benjamin Franklin, those who are willing yeah. to give up a little bit of, you know, give up uh, some rights for some safety, in the end will have neither. And, and, and he's exactly Right. You're seeing that in New York City. You're seeing that in the state of Michigan, where they can tell people that they can't even go out and buy seeds now to plant. That woman uh, would be a great communist dictator. I'm just telling you. It was interesting about all of this, that my wife, for example, we were talking about this when it first started. And um, because she works in the medical profession, obviously they're higher up are telling them about the severity of it and things that are going to happen down the line. And what I told her, um, I think at kind of like the zenith of all of this, uh, I think that they were being told, like, this is something that's going to last us until September. And I mm-hmm. told her, there's no way that's going to happen. Within three weeks, you're going to start to see things trickle back to, to normal. And she said, well, what's your logic behind that? And I said, there is no logic behind it. It's the fact that Americans are fiercely independent, um, small businesses that don't need to stay closed. When you start losing money and hemorrhaging it because you can't stay open because the government is telling you that you can't, it's the spirit of liberty that's like in us that compels us to want to rebel against it. And sure enough, within three weeks, you start to see people be start to question that narrative and be like, wait a minute. So I was told that I couldn't work. Uh, I was told that I have to rely on stimulus checks to get by. Uh, none of this is adding up. None of this makes sense. And I think that, honestly, overall, I think Americans were questioning it to a higher degree than the rest of the world based on who we are as a people. I can't help but think that this was a test run by the government just to see how far they'd be willing to push us and what we'd be willing to give up um, to to see how much of our our rights, our civil liberties, we're willing to sacrifice. So I'm really happy to see that things are starting to open back up. But let this be a lesson to the average citizen that if you're seeing the nonsense, you should do what, you know, residents in Virginia did, and you have to make a stand because I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, obviously, with the, the nonsense happening, one thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to buy a handgun because we don't live in a safe neighborhood, that's for sure. But in Texas, if you go to buy a handgun and you have an out-of-state license, they do not let you buy a handgun. So they're very, very, very strict on this. And we saw it happen to a couple of people who were from out-of-state. They'd look at their driver's license and be like, you're uh, from New York. We can't give you a handgun. And so my wife and I would joke and be like, well, I'm pretty sure that that person, if they had questions about the Second Amendment in this uh, trying time, they probably converted very quickly just based on that alone. No, of course. Of course. I mean, here's what I think. I don't look. I, I'm not a conspiracist. I don't believe it was somebody that released the uh, COVID-19 into our our country to, to gin up a, a problem. I think what they did is the COVID-19 outbreak happened and 
they did just what Rahm Emanuel said to do. They saw a problem that was there and that they could use it to their benefit. And that's exactly what they have been doing over the last three months. These governors who lean towards more totalitarian uh, government are showing their true colors now. And I hope in Americans an election pay year? Are you crazy? Yeah. You know, no, pay attention to it. <laughs> They're well, paying. I mean, it, you know, pay attention. I, so I think the the real lasting impact, the real negative one, you know, is going to be that this is putting just in, in terms of business in the United States of America, it's putting more power in the in the hands of corporate businesses and taking away more locally owned mm-hmm. and independently owned businesses because. The Walmart stays open, the Target stays open, uh, the Best Buy stays open, but the mom and pop's uh, electronic shop or um, or boutique, those are all getting shut down. And we were just talking about uh, the hair salon lady who got put in jail because she wouldn't shut down her business. And there's stories like that all over, like local bakeries where people are getting arrested or they're being forcibly shut down. Like the police are being sent to people's local businesses to shut them down. They're not being sent to Walmart. They're not being sent to Best Buy. They're being sent to only local businesses to shut them down. Yeah, I and got the it. Problem with yeah, yeah I got to say, Mark, just before because we got to go to break here. The lady that it was a salon. The, the judge wanted her to apologize, and she said, "I won't apologize that I'm staying open so I can feed my children. Nor will I apologize that I'm keeping my other stylists, uh, you know." on board so they can get paid so they can feed their children that that what was a, a monster, great right? what a yeah what a great answer yeah. that was all right we're going to take a break we'll come back tim Lim, mark pellegrini with us been a while great uh, discussion going on on the dave ellswick show into the final hour. Mark Pellegrini and Tim Lim uh, join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. They haven't been with us in, since uh, around February and uh, I had some health problems and I was out of the saddle for a while and by the time I got back and things were going along fine, then the uh, COVID-19 outbreak came and Tim got stuck down in Texas and Mark's been stuck inside of his apartment and now I'm doing my show from my dining room. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I kind of like the, the modern technology that we have now. I'm in my dining room. Mark is in his apartment in Little Rock. Tim Lim is down in around Temple, Texas somewhere. And Heidi is back at the station. But we're we're still able to get it all together and pull together uh, the Dave Ellswick show today. That's why when you're watching on Facebook Live, the studio's empty. 
Now, we're all intricately you know, working uh, here for this show, but uh, we're all spread across, uh, you know, two states, to be honest with you. So just just know that it's pretty cool that we can do this. Well, it's, it's funny, though. Um, so uh, Tim and I have a, a streaming series on YouTube called The Bunderdome. And we have guests on it regularly who are animators um, in, uh, for, you know, Nickelodeon, Disney, uh, Cartoon Network, places like that. And they all had to move to Los Angeles to work for those companies as animators. You know, that all sounds like very normal, right? Because you assume that all the animators are sitting at drawing boards, you know, like uh, like the old Chuck Jones days or something. Not anymore. But they, no, they do all their work digitally. And so they, obviously in L.A., they all were the first ones to get sent home and told to work from home. And so they found out that they can do all of their work remotely, and they're wondering why they live in a terrible place like L.A. when they could be living anywhere else in the country <laughs> and just remoting in. Because there hasn't been a uh, – it has not impacted their productivity because everything they do. And if they have to talk to, um, you know, the, to other people, they just do Zoom meetings or something. Right. Um, if they don't need to be living in L.A., you know, one of the worst places to live in, in the country. Uh, right now, it's kind of uh, waking a few people up right now. Yeah, what's great about it, you know, the reason you got to live on California is they need their taxes. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what it is. Do you know that the average tax out in uh, for a payroll tax in Cal- average now, 13.5%. God, that's insane. It is insane. That's Why would anybody want to live in California? I mean, if they you're going to go to all uh I think that's why they all have socialist tendencies in California, or at least in the big cities, because they already give so much of their money back to the government. So they just want the government to pay for everything now. Like, well, I already give them most of my income, so the government might as well take care of me. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. What do you think, Tim? You know, why are they? Why do they make these people move to L.A. when they can live anywhere in the country or the world, for that matter, and do what they're being asked to do? I have relatives who live in California. And to them, it's the quote-unquote lifestyle. I don't really know what that means. (laughs) Like, no one's been able to really quantify that for me. Like, how objectively their lifestyle is any better just because of the location they're at. But it's this idea of like, oh, my gosh, it's so sunny. And we're so cultured. And we're not backwards. (laughs) Like, well, you are basically your own country. Um, Your taxes are really high. If you live in the major cities... You're basically living in um, squalor in terms of the, the the things that you see on the streets. I really have not heard any convincing arguments as to the benefits of living on either the left coast or um, like the New York area. There's there's just nothing that convinces me about the inherent grandeur or upscale living that's so promised there. I think that you know there was this book that was published not too long ago. It was called The Geography of Nowhere. And it was very prophetic in terms of what it talked about. Basically, the argument was that as um, a society, we typically go to different cities because they offer things that we don't have, typically on a retail level. So case in point, we used to take a trip every year around Christmas to go to Dallas so we could go to the Galleria. Right. Well, over, over time, we stopped doing that because the luxuries offered at the, at the Galleria, your Macy's, your Nordstrom's, et cetera, et cetera. The moment online shopping happened or the moment that a Belk department store opened in our neighborhood, it, it made the impetus to go to these cities go away 
because suddenly the retail factor was taken out, and it forces a lot of the major cities to have they, they have to rely on other means to try and drag tourists in. And I feel that because we're getting smaller and smaller as far as communications are concerned, you can you can literally connect to anyone anywhere in the world. The allure of bigger metropolitan cities goes away as well, because it's like, well, why would you? Either make the travel, or in a more extreme case, move to somewhere that doesn't offer you anything that you can get from the luxuries of being at home or being in a more rural or suburban area.、Um, and I think that that is—I just see very weak arguments in terms of people moving to places like California or, more specifically, LA or San Francisco. Yeah, let me give you let me give you a good example of that. I live up in Cabot. I bought a. Just a little over two thousand square foot home on an acre corner lot for a hundred and sixty five thousand dollars about eighteen years ago. I couldn't buy unthinkable. I, yeah, you, you see what see what a hundred and sixty five thousand dollars would get you out in L.A. Well, I mean, see what it gets you in Fairfax County, where I'm from, up in Virginia. Fairfax County has one of the highest cost of living in the country. And I remember one of my so one of the general managers when I was working at a Best Buy up there、um, was telling us that he was trying to get a starter home in Fairfax County. A starter home, you know, was like it's a home, but it's the size of a two bedroom apartment. You know, right, <laughs> right, yeah, really, really tiny joints that、um, you can only raise a family in if you have like one child.、Uh, he was trying to he was trying to save up enough to get a starter home. He was the general manager of, of the business. And he said he couldn't find a starter home for less than two hundred thousand dollars in Fairfax County. Wow! You know, like that—that's how bad it is. You know, people think when they think of you know high cost of living, they think of you know Los Angeles and New York City and places like that. But because all the politicians you know who work in D.C. live in Fairfax County, the cost of living there is astronomical, and、uh, the average person can't afford to live there. I mean, that's why I moved from there to. Down here to Arkansas was that you know I'm not a politician I can't afford to live in Fairfax County. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Unless you work for the government somewhere in D.C., you can't live in Fairfax County. I yeah, mean that's yeah, basically the bottom line. You know, it's a, it yeah, used so, to I mean, be you know government workers used to complain about low pay, but、uh, they they took the low pay because they had a pension. That they could depend on when they retire. Now they're being paid exorbitant、uh, amounts plus those pensions. Right. I mean, you know, back in the day, if you were a politician, it didn't mean that you were a millionaire. The, the two didn't go hand in hand. You know, you,、no. being a politician wasn't the same thing as being like a celebrity where you just got, you know, boatloads of cash. But somewhere along the lines, that changed. Now, you know, politicians make as much as, as actors and CEOs and things、mm-hmm. like that. And that's just the way of things.、Um, geez, I, you know, in the founding fathers' days, or in the 1800s, or even the early 1900s, if you were the president, you know, or if you were the, the governor,、uh, people could just walk up and knock on your door. You know, you you lived a, a modest lifestyle, you lived a nice lifestyle, but you weren't, you know, what what they are today. The, the multi-millionaires who have、um, like nearly Bill Gates level.、Uh, Uh, net worth, but that's just how it is now, and we've all kind of just taken that as the way things are supposed to be. That all politicians must be millionaires, and that's、yeah. been human history. That's not the way it's been. They're at least a millionaire. If you're not a millionaire and you're a politician, you're not cheating enough. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, right.
They wonder why they're all crooked. (laughs) I think we all agree. All agree with that. I mean, you look at some of these guys that they uh, they get elected. They go up, and their net worth is uh, let's say two hundred thousand dollars, and that's not that's not hard to do if you got a home and a little bit of land and some small amount of savings. But then after they've served two terms as congressmen, suddenly they're worth a million dollars. Yeah, where'd, where'd all that, that money come where'd from? all that additional money come from how do how were they able to suddenly make all that money well they get all kinds of they they'll say they don't but they do insider trading information and all kinds of stuff i mean good god they make money on that kind of stuff and if you want to really like uh just shock yourself about opulence where you might not expect it i mean take a trip to great falls up in uh you know northern virginia because that's where uh, a lot of the politicians live. And Great Falls, you know, it, it's like going into some sort of fairyland. There's just these huge estates everywhere. And it's, it's where all the really rich politicians live. But, you know, not just like the, uh, not, not just like the people at the, the upper echelons. It'd be like the secretary to the secretary's assistant secretary has this like 12 bedroom mansion in the state. You know, like, why are they getting so much money? Like, well, it, they're doing something right. I guess, but yeah, it's or something wrong. <laughs> or something, well, yeah, they're doing something wrong, but they're doing it the right way. <laughs> All right, we got to get a break in, guys. When we come back, I'd like to talk about something with you, Tim, and and you as well, Mark. But we've already kind of touched base on it. Uh, I, I'd like to talk about how the media has tried to say that this president didn't react to the coronavirus uh, quick enough. And yesterday, uh, the uh, press secretary put the press in their place, and I'm going to play some audio for us. And uh, also, I'd like to talk about uh, uh, this terrible killing that occurred down in Georgia, but how some people are making it more than what it really was. It's 17 after 8 on a, uh, of course, a Thursday. We only got one more day this week to go, and then we got the weekend in front of us, so we get to stay home again for another two days. Uh, According to Forbes magazine, they say that 96% of Americans, 96%, claim their Social Security benefits at the wrong time. So what does that mean? Well, it means that that mistake can cost you an average of $111,000 over the course of your retirement. Now, I can't afford to lose $111,000, and I'm sure uh, you can't as well. And I'll give you a good example. I, I started taking my Social Security last year. Yes, I'm that old. I'm as old as dirt, okay? I've told you that. Now I'm, I'm proving it to you. But the bottom line is uh, my wife didn't think that she had any Social Security coming uh, because she only worked a very short period of time uh, during the time we were married so that we could put together our down payment on the house. And uh, so just on a whim, she called up uh, Social Security and asked them, well, what about me? Well, she's getting over $900 a month, Social Security. Now, you add that up over the time that uh, you take Social Security, and the average person gets Social Security for anywhere from 12 to 16 years. So let's just take that at 12 years, and let's figure that's $9,000 a year times 12. There's that $111,000 we just talked about. In fact, it's more than that. Learn how you can avoid making that kind of mistake that's going to cost you money instead of you making the money that you rightfully have coming from your Social Security. 
uh, with David Lucas Financial right here in North Little Rock. Uh, if you've saved more than $250,000, you have not filed for Social Security, call him. Be one of the first 10 callers and uh, schedule your free analysis at 501-222-3315. That's uh, 501-222-3315. This free analysis can be done over the phone or through video conferencing. You don't have to sit in an office. You don't have to break your social distancing. That number again, 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. We got traffic, we got weather, we got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 25 minutes after 8 on a Thursday, uh, two of my buddies are on with us and and very uh, influential in the uh, comic scene. Uh, that's Tim Lim and also Mark Pellegrini. I bl- I'm going to make a prediction about Mark Pellegrini. Uh, Tim has already risen to a, a pretty high level of success as a as an animator, as a uh, uh, a guy who illustrates comics. In fact, I wanted to ask you about Bloodshot uh, when we come back uh, after the break at the bottom of the hour, Tim. But the bottom line is uh, you've become known in the, the, the comic uh, business uh, on, a, on a high level. And, Mark, uh, your ability to write, I predict – uh, before uh, another uh, five or eight years passes, uh, to, uh, you'll write something uh, in the cinema realm that is going to bring you some pretty uh, high uh, accolades and get you out there as well. I think you're going to be you're a future screenwriter ready to go. I can only hope. Um, I hope to be a future novelist, but there's more money in screenwriting, so that might be a better <laughs> might be a better outcome for me. Um, yeah. I do have a, a, a pro story that's going to be published in the magazine um, Cursova, C-I-R-S-O-V-A. Um, it's actually published here in Arkansas, um, so it's a local uh, weird fiction magazine, but it uh, publishes internationally. Um, and so if you want to check that story out, it's the Cursova Summer Special. It's already up for pre-order on Amazon, and it's um, spelled C-I-R-S-O-V-A. And I've also got a, a book that's going to be coming out later this year once the cover art's done. So i got a few okay. things coming up. Yep. Is Tim doing the cover art? Uh, no, a friend of ours, Austin Rogers, um, who's out in Texas. Um, he's an artist. He actually did the cover art for my first novel. He's doing the one for my second one. And... Uh, uh, as soon as that's done, then I'm just going to go ahead and get that book out there. All right. So I wanted to play this piece of audio for you guys before we get to the bottom of the hour and, and Sean uh, Hannity's uh, minute that he has every day. Uh, this is the new press secretary. Someone at what? Well, look, I'll let the you'll be able to hear the questions she's asked and then you'll hear her answer. And she doesn't wait for anybody to ask her another question. She just walks off the stage, bottom line, drops the mic. Here she is. Daley, in a previous life, before you were press secretary, you worked for the campaign, and you made a comment, I believe, on Fox, in which you said President Trump will not allow the coronavirus to come to this country. Given what has happened since then, obviously, would you like to take that back? Well, first, let me note, I was asked a question um, on Fox Business about the president's travel restrictions. I noted what was the intent behind those travel restrictions, which is we will not see the coronavirus come here. We will not see terrorism come here, referring to an earlier set of travel restrictions. I guess I would turn the question back on the media and ask similar questions. Does Vox want to take back that they proclaim that the coronavirus would not be a deadly pandemic? 
Does the Washington Post want to take back that they told Americans to get a grip? The flu is bigger than the coronavirus. Does the Washington Post likewise want to take back that our brains are causing us to exaggerate the threat of the coronavirus? Does the New York Times want to take back that fear of the virus may be spreading faster than the virus itself? Does NPR want to take back that the flu was a much bigger threat than the coronavirus? And finally, once again, the Washington Post, would they like to take back that the government should not respond aggressively to the coronavirus? I'll leave you with those questions, and maybe you'll have some answers in a few days. That's too good. She was waiting for that question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She had her ammunition ready to go, yeah. I mean, she was just sitting on it. I mean, drop the mic. There you go. I'll I'll, I'll be back when you guys got the answers to that question in the next couple of days. Uh, I'll see you later. The press hates it when when they fight back. Like when Trump showed that video, you know, of everybody, all their contradictions, Pelosi and Chinatown, all that stuff. And they did not like that one bit. They're saying it was unpresidential, that he shouldn't have done that, because all he did was show them up. That's exactly what she just did. She just showed them up on a national stage. They're not big fans of that. Yeah, I'm big, big on that. Tim, you hang around. I want to talk to you about Bloodshot. That I thought it was a pretty good movie. I understand through uh, uh, Mark that you have been uh, called upon to do a cover for Bloodshot, and I want to talk to you about that and have you talk about that a little bit when we get back. Tim, you hang around as well as best you can. I know that you're on uh, call for business. If something happens, just let us know, and, and, and we'll make excuses for you, all right? <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll talk all to right. you in a little bit. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. Right now we need to get Sean Hannity. He joins us for his Expresso Minute here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, and then we'll finish up with the show on this Thursday here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Okay. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick, uh, about 24 minutes till 9. Two great guests on with us today. Tim Lim is here. Mark Pellegrini are here. Uh, wanted to get with them now during this small segment before we have to take our final break. And uh, tell us a little bit, Tim, how did you get involved with Bloodshot? So the way I got involved with them was about two years ago. And what had happened was I had already done some coloring work for Valiant for one of their co- for one of the other comics. And one of our local comic book stores, actually a store in Whitehall, Arkansas, was doing a variant cover for, um, I think, a, a Bloodshot relaunch, uh, Bloodshot Salvation. And so uh, I was actually contracted to do a cover for them. And that was a really good series, too, by the way. So I'm not just blowing smoke. Um, that was actually a legitimately well-written and well-drawn book. So I did some cover art for them. And uh, it sold pretty well. And we actually don't have any more copies of it left. We used to sell that issue at our conventions. And I think the only copy I have left is my own. Wow. That's impressive. When you do covers like that, I mean, you've done Ninja Turtles. You've done a lot of different things. You did, what, what, did you do Submariner? I did not. No, I have not done anything um, Marvel-related with the exception of Spider-Man. Okay. So when you do covers like that, do you ask for just a copy of the cover so that you can mount those so you have them, uh, you know, kept <laughs> so you don't have to worry? Because, I mean, seriously, doing something for Teenage Ninja Turtles, that's a big deal, man. That's big business. I'd I'd want to, you know, have that uh, framed up somewhere. They normally, it's part of a contract that they send you complimentary copies. So I normally get about 10 uh, issues 
and I can do with them as I please. And sometimes contractually, they, they have it so that I can order more if I want to. So my, my wife and I have a little gallery going on where we actually have some of, actually most of my stuff framed. Um, just a little, I, you know, when I was a kid, I never earned trophies. So <laughs> I feel like I'm making up for that in my adulthood. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, 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 have a, I have a copy of most of my work um, framed and ready to go. It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's really an, you're you're an amazing story, Tim. I mean, you're a you're a, a a hearing doctor. You're an audiologist, and you're so talented uh, with your illustrations as well. Uh, you've got two great careers going at once. I mean, is your goal anywhere along the line that you can give up uh, maybe the audiologist part of it and just zero in specifically? On, on the comic issue? I've asked you this question before, so I already know the answer, but my listeners might not. And just zero in on doing comics? I don't think so. I think it's a juggling act. Um, it's based on your work ethic. It's what you're willing to manage. And obviously I've given up part of the audiology stuff, but I retain my license and I, I make sure to continue my education. Uh, so basically I'm like a reservist. If anyone ever needs a fill-in audiologist to come in and do something or to teach, I can do that. Uh-huh. And when, I, when we move back next year, I'm sure that I'm going to take on a, a lot more part-time responsibilities. But in the meantime, I'm doing a pretty good job in juggling both. I like both of the things that I do. I was listening to um, a commentary. It was actually someone that we know who he, like, um, he was streaming and people were asking him, they're like, hey, I had this book that you promised me and it's late. What's going on here? And he flips out at the audience saying, well, uh, they want me to draw, but I'm managing a company. So how in the world am I supposed to draw and manage a company? Well, buddy, you're two years late. Um, <laughs> and there's guys like, you know, Mark, there's me. We have a lot of friends who are just hobbyists. And it's like you bit off more than you can chew. That's on, that's on no one else but yourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as part of being in any type of professional field, you have a choice to make. You either give up one thing to work on another, but it all boils down to your priorities. It boils down to your deadlines and it boils down to just juggling everything responsible, responsibly to what you can handle. Yeah. It's just really, uh, really weird when people do that. I, I wholeheartedly uh, agree as far as that's concerned. So uh, you got that going on. You know, Mark, you say you got a couple of, you got at least one novel out. You got another one coming. Uh, what's your, what's your uh, kind of novel isk writing about? Is it sci-fi? Is it horror? What is it? Um, I think you know the answer to that. It's horror. It's always horror. <laughs> no, okay. You um, like horror. Yep. So uh, the short story I have coming out in uh, Kursova and their summer special is called Just Don't Open the Door. Um, it's about uh, a kid named Sean who uh, looks over one day while uh, doing his gardening at the neighbor's house and notices the neighbor come waddling out um, covered in sweat and with, with sallow sunken eyes and looking very distressed. The neighbor hurries over to his car, sees the kid looking at him, um, starts breathing heavy, thinking of something to say as the kid just sits there staring at him, and then finally tells the kid, everything will be fine, Uh just don't open the door. And then he gets in his car and he speeds away and never comes back. And the kid looks at the house and sees the front door hanging wide open. And so he's left wondering, like, what did he mean by that? What door is he talking about? 
and the kid can't get it out of his head, you know, a week goes by, that door is just left hanging open on its hinge uh, on the house, and the kid finally decides he wants to figure out what that guy was talking about. And so the rest right. of the story is the kid going into the house and what he finds. All right. I'm going to have to read that. That sounds you've got you've got my uh, imagination tickled there. I'll have to take a look at it. What what's the new novel you're working? Well, tell us about your first novel and then what's your new one? Well, the first novel I did um, was uh, you can still find it on Amazon um, if you want to. Uh, it's um, everyone's you know, about their first novel. They have a different attitude about it. You know, I've, I've learned a lot and I've done better. But it is called The Ballad of Doc Holliday and the Bloodsucking Locomotive. It is a, a vampire western story um, about Doc Holliday, um, and what if uh, he came back after uh, going down? And it's written in. It is called the Ballad of Doc Holliday and the Bloodsucking Locomotive because it is a ballad. It is written entirely in uh, lyrics and, and uh, couplets, and it <laughs> is over 500 pages long. It was a very ambitious book. I'm proud of segments of it. Um, you can go on to Amazon. It's on Kindle and on paperback, and there is a preview. So go in, and if you can find the meter and you want to read more, then be my guest and pick it up. If you can't, I understand. But it was my first book. Um, okay. My next novel is a bit more traditional, and um, I'm more I'm happier with that one because I wrote that uh, novel, this new one coming out, just after I had gotten more experience, more practice. And um, I've had some test readers looking at it. And they're enjoying it. Um, I'm very happy with it. It's going to be called uh, They'll Get You, The Suburb of Shadows. And uh, it's about a kid named uh, Kevin who, uh, who lives in his town. But his town is fading. And not uh, the industry of the town or the population of the town, but the reality of the town. Um, things are falling apart. They aren't making sense anymore. The people around him are becoming indistinct. Their faces are disappearing. Uh, their voices are disappearing. He can understand what they're saying, but he can't hear their words. Um, his his class at uh, at school is missing people, um, but when they go missing, their desks go missing at the same time, like they were never there. And by the time he starts, he starts pretending that everything's normal um, and trying to convince himself that this is just the way things are. But once things get really bad, once these creatures start coming out of the the walls out of the woodwork coming after him everywhere he goes first they come after him in the streets then at school then at home then in bed there's nowhere for him to go and by the time he finally realizes that things aren't going to go back to normal uh it's too late he can't run he can't hide and he can't get out and then he has to figure out what to do at that point and that's a no (laughs) All right. That sounds very good. I just pulled up your first book on Amazon, and it's 556 pages on Kindle. This is a, <laughs> this is a, a great read. They got, uh, here's what it says at the very end. The Ballad of Doc Holliday and the Blood-Sucking Locomotive is a novel-length poem, all in rhyme, that tells the story of Tombstone's greatest lawmen and their odyssey to confront a monster that was ancient when the Old West was still just a twinkle in the devil's eye. Sounds interesting. I'm going to have to pick up a copy. Sounds well, looks good. Be, yeah, it's my first novel. Um, it, it was very ambitious. I wrote it with um, a friend of mine named uh, John Lim, um, and we had a lot of fun writing it. We wrote it in jam sessions over several years where we would storm up a plot, um, and then I would come up with the, uh, the lyrics to go with that, uh, that segment of plot. 
and we just had a lot of fun doing it over years. Um, then I just uh, correlated it all into um, a novel and put it on Amazon. And um, actually, Austin Rogers, who's the artist who did the cover art um, on the Ballad of Doc Holliday, he uh, he's the one who actually suggested, you know, that when I had, you know, reservations about the book, he said, well, Mark, you know, it's your first book, and no one's ever completely satisfied with their first book. But you got to get your author page, your bibliography started somewhere. So just put it out there and then learn from it and keep moving forward. And I have. Um, I published, uh, geez, like five, six, seven uh, comic book scripts since then. Um, and I've got a second novel. I've got a short story that's going to be published. So, you know, if anybody out there, you know, is a writer, uh, but they're afraid to put their first work out, they're just never satisfied with it, you're never going to be completely satisfied with your work. You'll always look back at it and uh, think like, oh, I could have done this differently. I could have done that better. But if you never put anything out there because you're always refining it and tweaking it, then you'll never have anything to show for your work. So just go ahead and put it out there. Yeah, well, putting putting aside politics of Stephen King, uh, you know, even he says he fi- he still finds fault in The Stand. And as far as I'm concerned, The Stand was one of the greatest books ever written. I love that novel, but he still says that there's you know, there's things that he would have changed about it. Oh, by the way, under the author comments, uh, you know, about Mark Pellegrini, it says, quote, he currently resides in the red state of Arkansas with <laughs> with with his cat. Very good. Guys, we've got to get a break in. We'll come in and uh, come back and then you can tell us what's going on here uh, now. Uh We've heard from Mark and we've heard from Tim. What are you guys working together on? Because you're quite the creative team. Let's talk about that when we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show on 1011 FM, The Answer. All right, back with nine minutes to go. Tim uh, Lim is here. He's down in Texas. Uh, Mark Pellegrini is here. He's in his uh, uh, abode here in Little Rock. And uh, I'm Dave Ellswick, Dave Ellswick Show here at 1011 FM, The Answer. And I'm in my dining room in uh, in Cabot. And uh, we're making this show happen during uh, the COVID-19 times. So if you're listening to this at some other time, just know that we're spread all across uh, the United States here and doing this show. Guys, for our listeners, are you working on anything together at this time? I mean, you guys have done a lot together already. Well, what's on the agenda right now? We're always working on things together. <laughs> right now we're working on Black Ops 3. So it's the third volume of our Black Ops series. And I'm about a third of the way through as of today. And that one will be going up for pre-order next month. Um, and we just wrapped up our best-selling title, which is called Common America. We're actually doing the fulfillment as of last night. And immediately after we're done with this book, we're going to be working on the sequel to that one coming this fall. Okay, so what is that one about? So the basic story is it's about a girl next door who comes from a small town in Indiana, and she gets superpowers. And when she gets superpowers, um, we explore the angle of what happens when people try to tell her to do things that she doesn't want to. So, for example, there's a PR group um, that that gloms onto her and tells her to do certain things to improve her image or to do things that she might not want to because it's cool or because that's what's called for as far as marketing or as far as like a commercial aspect is concerned. But I think that I think one philosophy that I know Mark and I share 
is that virtue should be its own reward. You don't do things because it's cool or glamorous or because it gets you money um, or fame. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we explore that angle from a very comedic perspective. Um, a lot of it is based on our personal experiences over the years in, in dealing with certain people. Um, overall, the first wave of books went out about three weeks ago, and we sent those to over a 1,000 people, and it's been very, very well received. And so we can't wait to hear what other people are going to say once these books start going out as of um, this morning. Okay, fantastic. That's, that's just always good news. Uh, Mark, what are what are you pitching towards uh, uh, Tim that uh, he's not telling us? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I always, um, since I write the script and Tim does the art and we uh, collaborate on developing the story, I always try to stay one project ahead of Tim so that while he's doing the current projects, I'm writing the next one. So he's, um, I think he's like 20, 23, 25 pages into Black Ops 3. Uh, he's just absolutely knocking it out of the page a day. Um, so I got to keep up with him. So while he's doing that, um, I'm working on a pre-production of Common America 2. Um, so we're uh, we're currently in the final stages of uh, developing the plot summary and devel- and uh, smoothing that out. And then I'm going to launch directly into writing the script for it, um, 64 pages. So uh, I'm going to have to uh, knuckle down on that. And then as soon as we're, I'm done with Common America 2, um, we're going to work on the next project. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're staying very busy. So have you guys been approached by anybody? I mean, the, the, the stuff that you've done with the rabbits as uh, special forces and all that, I would think lend itself to a type of, like, anime kind of, uh, of uh, animation. Has anybody talked to you about that, or can you even talk about that? No, not um – I mean, we can talk about it. No one's reached out to us. <laughs> Ironically, I don't even know if we – I mean, that's something that Mark and I would have to discuss. We, we've talked about the hypothetical situation if someone did, and we jokingly said that we'd probably turn it down because of how – I mean, I'll be honest. Um, if someone offered it to us, it would have to be under a lot of stipulations. For example, um, it's like, well, we have a protagonist – we have two protagonists. We have the rabbit and we have the owner. And the, the owner is basically an, like an homage to Jessica Rabbit. She's this uh, redhead. And I was like, you know what they're going to do is they're going to race swap the redhead. They, they always do it to the redheads. And I'm like, it has to be like in her contract where it's like you can't do that. And I think that that stipulation right then and there would automatically negate any possibility of it going into like a widescreen yeah. audience. So what you guys I mean, are saying, you want creative the, control. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about, um, like, like multimedia stuff, but when we first started Black Ops, we actually were approached by someone who wanted to publish the comic for us, but they had notes. And their notes, um, I think, it basically scared us away from ever wanting to hand over creative control to anyone because their notes were like, yeah, you need to have, um, you need to have a child interest character, you know, like a like a preteen who uh, who joins the team, um, and he can like ride a skateboard and wear sunglasses, you know, and he's going to like tag <laughs> along on missions. And we're like, oh my, that sounds awful. You're only saying that because you've seen it in like uh, other media, and you're just a, 
you're just a complete and utter uh, shill. You're a stooge. Yeah. And like, but you know, that's how these people think is that uh, everything needs to be the same. And even if it's a bad idea, if that bad idea succeeded, then everybody needs to do it. And we're just like, uh-huh. we're much happier having control of the story and doing it our way rather than doing it somebody else's way that we wouldn't agree with. So yeah, no, no. <laughs> that's not happening. I kind of like that. I, I can't let us get away. We've we've got just about a minute and a half here, Mark. Let me ask you. Uh, evidently, uh, did did you see the uh, the new Invisible Man? Uh, no, I haven't. But I heard it's it's been getting a lot of really uh, good reviews. I do want to check it out. It's I'll pretty wait good. Until it hits Blu-ray. Yeah. So yeah, what do you think? You saw it, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I saw it. It's pretty good. I'm, I won't say that it was bad. It, it you know, I I personally like. The mad scientist version of it, uh, the original, the way they did the original. I wish they would have oh, yeah. perhaps stayed a little closer to the original. But it was it was entertaining. I didn't have any problem with it. Uh, it was an entertaining well, uh, take on was it. This, um, was this new Invisible Man produced by Universal? So was it part of yes. their? Okay. So they've completely, after The Mummy, they've completely disregarded this whole like cinematic universe of monsters. And they're going back to just doing legitimate in like isolated horror movies for their their stable of monster characters that's that's, that, a good that's correct yeah the <laughs> that's next what one they should be doing yeah garth edwards is talking about doing frankenstein which would be kind of interesting as far as i'm concerned yeah. with that said guys we're out of time tim Lim, thanks so much for joining us from texas it's always a pleasure tim uh to talk to you and mark uh, I will see you uh, in the in the near term when they finally let us uh, leave our houses. Tim, when you get back to Arkansas, let us know. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Tomorrow we'll have uh, Robert Steinbach on, and uh, I'll see you at 6 a.m.